podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekend at Neil Atkinson. In front of me, I've got Dan Morgan, Chris Maguire and Damian Cavana uh, to chat about the fact that Jurgen Klopp may well have a full squad or the nearest thing he's had to one for God knows how long for this run of games. We'll have a conversation about that and the idea that it might be end up being a, a significant run of games for Naby Keita as well. That is to come very, very soon indeed. Also, we've got Laurie Whitwell of The Athletic talking about Manchester United. He covers them uh, for Manchester, uh, sorry, for The Athletic so he knows what's going on uh, and I spoke to him as well. And also, uh, we've got uh, John Connors, Irish playwright uh, and performer uh, well actor more accurately award winning actor and uh, Katoomba uh, in as well to talk about what they're up to all of that is to come it is as ever a packed weekend and we've got some last fan standing quiz action as well for you but we'll start off saying you know Dan Morgan it is it is to me I can't think of a last time he'd have had this many players fit normally your international break fears unless there's a surprise for us in the press conference tomorrow your international break fears are that they're going to come back three of them are going to have knocks People haven't recovered the way in which you'd like. At the moment, I think this might well be the fullest the Liverpool manager squad has ever been in terms of footballers who are available to him. Yeah, I can only really think of Shaqiri, who, who might not have made it back in time, but the odds on from Zerd and Shaqiri getting any minutes at Old Trafford or anywhere at the minute seem quite minimal. So, so yeah, I mean, it is a big thing, especially on the back of the international break, like, like you referenced. I think this international break has been kind of to us than, than others ordinarily you know I'm I'm just I'm really happy this game's on the Sunday as opposed to anything Saturday I think the extra day is massive first and foremost I think when you see we play Newcastle on the back of the last one and it takes us half an hour to just get anything going at all I don't think we can I'm saying I don't think we can afford to do that in this game I think we can but just the the psychological element of this game, with it being Old Trafford, I think it's something that we need to feel in control of from the minute go. And I think having a full squad, I think having the extra day, and I just think a certain year authority over them from the minute one would would impact on all that. It's a game, Chris, where it opens up. It's one of a. It's a big game every year. It's a big game. One of the biggest games you play all season, Man United away. But it's also in a run that's got Tottenham at home in two Champions League games in, uh, and ends with Manchester City at home. And it's so strange to say, you know, this is a Liverpool side that's won eight out of eight, and it seems almost greedy to think, God, imagine if they could make it eleven out of eleven. But this is this could well end up being the defining period of the season, these seven games. So if he's got a, a fully fit squad, or as close as he's ever had to a fully fit squad, then it doesn't have help. Yeah, of course. I mean, the defining sort of segments of games came sort of last season, just after after New Year's, and where we where we sort of. We, you know, we we only drew with Man United and, and we only drew with Everton. And I think this year, what we've what we've noticed and what we've learned is that we really can't afford to, to to drop any points at any stage of the season because we've got Man City just waiting to to pick up if we do drop any points. Um, I, I think, I mean, going into Old Trafford that, 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 that after this international break, it's it's a good time to go in. You can make a few changes as well. You know, I think like the likes of. You know the Brazilian lads have been away to Singapore. They might he might not play. Um, he might not play for Bino. I'm not too sure. I mean, I mean, I think he might play James Milner. Bring him in. Um, it's that type of it's that part of the season where he's he's rested Milner at the start of the season, and now he's bringing him in for, you know, for, the, for where he needs people with, with with cool heads basically. I think with Fabinho, you know, you might have someone who's whose sort of temperament might get the, the the worst of him at Old Trafford. I think Martin Atkinson's the uh, the, the referee, I believe, as well. Did you mention Naby Keita? I think, like you know, is it like the the, the third coming of Naby Keita? You know, we've got like high hopes for him. 
he's the type of player that we really could do in midfield, you know, to to, to add to the goals if if the other three aren't firing. Um, you know, especially at Old Trafford where, where you can we with this this defence with Harry Maguire, we've got to play high and press him. We can't leave him, you know, with any time on the ball, knocking it about things like that, because he can play ball, he can, he can run as well. I think it's important that we have a high press in midfield to try and get at them. It's it's interesting Chris mentions uh, Kaita there, Damien. This run of games could end up being quite important for him. He's got himself into this the, the situation where Chris says there about the third coming. He was looking in great shape before he got the injury against Barcelona. He's not got quite to come back. And there's a couple of international games in this little run. It'd be great to see him get the opportunity to assert himself again properly for Liverpool. Yeah, dripping him in, I think. I think... Um... This thing about the international break being kinder to us and the game on the Sunday is all great news for everybody. Start of the season, people were worried about this, the size of the squad, the first 11 sound, the next three are all right, what are we going to do if we get an injury in there? Jürgen says, I want to keep them all together, keep the rhythm, keep the closeness, and it's big enough, it suits me, he's got his confidence. So at this point in time, everything looks great. And then that leads on to the likes of Keita to say, well, where do we drop him in? I think we'll see the usual suspects on Sunday. I think we'll see the usual suspects against Spurs. But the fact that Genk are on all that, it gives an opportunity to make a couple of changes. And Naby um, has obviously got a lot of potential and he looked great on YouTube with all the, yeah, the German League stuff and whatever, but he's got to prove it. And um, until I see him prove it, I'm not going to be shouting from the rooftop saying, oh yeah, he's coming back, it's going to solve all our problems. Because he did show promising signs, but I don't want to judge him too kindly. This is the champions of Europe and this is a team what needs to score more than 97 points to win the league. So this is the standard that we're at. But the beauty of having this squad and them all being available is the fact that if anyone's a little bit jaded, if they've had too many minutes in the legs over the uh, the international break, you've got fresh and hungry players who know they've got something to prove. So with regard to Naby, regard to Chamberlain, do you want to change the game after an hour? Do you want to keep the pressure up? Or do you think you're playing against an opponent where you can roll it round a little bit and it's not too intense in certain positions? It's, it's a good position to be in. I'd love Naby to be a success. He seems to be everything that we want. I was a little bit concerned when it was like, um, what did Jürgen say the other week? Um, I've, I've actually now been able to explain things to him in English. Well, that yeah. sounded very Ian Rush, 1986-7, you know, mm. 1988 in Italy, where you know he goes over there, doesn't learn the language, and he ends up back here. Now, that worked out for us. But, you know, I don't know if Jürgen's just giving him a little bit of protection by throwing that out there and saying, listen, I'm going to give you every single reason legitimately why this lad hasn't kick-started yet, but stick with him, wait with us. He's young enough. He's hungry enough. He's certainly um, a profile of a player who, who fits in with the, the system and you could see him as somebody who, at the top of his game, is uh, going to be needed. But this is a real serious block of games and then there's a break and then there's a double serious, another block of games and there's Club World Championships, which I'm desperate to see us win. Um, and a title I'm desperate to see us win and a European Cup I'm desperate to see us re- uh, retain so we need everybody the, the time's good and it's a good time for us to be playing Man U It's one where he'll feel as though with Kaiser and also with Oxlade-Chamberlain as well uh, Dan it's, it's interesting you know dripping them in finding the little moments for them finding the ways in which you can get some more out of them finding the ways in which to change it now is the moment I think where last season you saw him begin to make a few more changes now is possibly the moment to see him sort of change it up in the middle of the park, possibly here and there. This is not to, not to have a conversation necessarily about Sunday, but he finds himself with, if he's got these options, if he can manage them correctly, it can only lead to him having real riches at his disposal. 
when we get into December, as Damien says, when there's 10 games in December, if you can get these lads into a position where they feel as though they can contribute to five or six of them, and then there's a number of them doing five or six, mm-hmm. it'll be better for Liverpool. Yeah, definitely. The fixtures are, are an important factor in this. I think the next block of five or six are really hard on paper, and, and as hard as you can probably get in terms of going from one to the other and bouncing around top six sides. So we'll have to factor that. But at the, the minute I start thinking of Kaita, Lalana, for example, I think more and more the only way they get in is if he changes the shape, if he goes back to the 4 2 3 1. Because I think with the fixtures we've got, I think he's more inclined to go to the well with his his lads who he knows mm. who've served the shape in that 4 3 3 the way they do. So, I mean, look look at your opponents on Sunday. It's no coincidence that 10 years ago, John O'Shea was playing as many games for United as Michael Carrick. You know, they, Ferguson knew that when he had that 4 3 3, his midfield was basically facilitating everything that was going good. And we've got the same in terms of our, our own front three, but also our wingers. You know what? Our wings are playing as, as final third attackers for, for three quarters of a game now. So I'd say they're less inclined to look at someone like Kaiser if he sticks with the 4 3 3, but that's not to say that there's a couple of games coming up, especially, you know, the likes of Genk at home, where he can maybe go, you know what? I'll have a little look at four two three one here. I can see if I can work him in that left hand position again. Maybe look at Lalana. Maybe look at Chamberlain um, as well, and and use the players that way. I, I don't think it's it's not it, well. It's definitely not in his nature to to do anything radical. Um, but that's a system that his players played last season, and to them, you know, it might be something that they can just fall back into quite easily. He's got a he has got to find his way, hasn't he? As as, as Dan says there, Chris, he's got to find his way to to get them on the pitch and not and not hang them out to dry. And I think he's been very, very good at that. You know, he's seen how responsible he's been with where he, you know, the gentle time he gave Robertson, the gentle time he gave Fabinho. You know, he, he, he thrust Keiter in at the start of last season. Keiter did quite well until he first got the knock away at Napoli. He's, he's, he very much, I think, seems to be very, very good at tailoring games. And it can frustrate us at times because you want to see certain players play, but at tailoring games so that he, he gives his footballers the best chance to be the best versions of themselves. Yeah, I think we all know what, what our best eleven would be if we had if we had the choice but it is important that you allow the other players that are on the fringes to you know to learn how how, how he wants them to play and that might be uh, you know one of the issues why Kaita although he's been injured hasn't always got the minutes it might be one of the reasons why Shakiri, although he's injured at the moment now hasn't got always got the minutes to play in the way that he wants to play you know you got the likes of Harvey Elliott and Rian Brewster, who we've been promised is going to get minutes, and that might happen towards the end of the season if we win the league with six games to go. You know, you just you just don't know. You know, I wouldn't think he could put them types of players in straight away now in these big fixtures. But there is going to come a time when he is going to have to put one of them in and and let the let the other nine lads support them. You know, and you know you got you got the likes of Milner there who can play loads of different positions, haven't you? And, you know, he, he's the he's the fellow you can go to in order to give your very important players a rest. It's the it's the gonna have to be. I think Damien, that's the bit yeah. for me where I think he's. I think as much as possible, I don't want that choice to be taken from him, and that's why maybe it will, he might make a few more changes now than we think because I think he's firstly he's got some people to protect, but also I think what he won't want to do is feel as though he's backed into a corner. I don't think that's what we want all season. We don't want to get three or four injuries in a certain position and it feels as though mm. he's having to drop lads in who he hasn't been able to give enough time to yet yeah. to get them back used to playing for this Liverpool side, whatever the shape is. It's important, isn't it, that he just drops a couple in each each time so the rhythm stays the same and then they get used to playing. And 
by definition, he's probably going to have what every game you usually see fourteen players on the pitch. He's probably got two extra in mind, hasn't he? It's about this being able to rotate them in midfield. And I know what you're saying. You don't want him to just sort of say get to a position where there's a load of injuries, and all of a sudden you're having to put up with someone who hasn't played. They're not in. So it's what a balancing act it is. And I think. You know, we talk about a block of games, I'm certain that they do, and they might count it backwards from the most important one and say, well, in an ideal world, all fitness issues being equal, what team do we want to play against Man City? And how do I get there? How do I get the res- you know, required number of points between now and then? And then give it to them. So it's um, quite a balancing act. And I think for that reason, um, he quite likes the idea. I think Jürgen would choose to have a squad that is smaller than Guardiola's. I think he's happy to take his chances on there because he's got a couple of guys who he thinks, well, if it really comes to it, I can drop him in a full bath. If it really comes to it, he can come across and cover here or I can tweak the system and that. So, yeah, you're quite right. It's what a difficult balancing act it is because I think he's going to try and, um, you know, you can't win the league by Crimbo, but you can certainly lose it. I think he knows that that's the case. I think it's a bonus that Man City have fallen eight points behind it. I don't think anyone would have anticipated that. Yeah. And if someone had said to you at the start of the season, we can get to the next international break and maintain, you know, and have an eight points, you know. So basically, it's just a question was maintaining parity now with Man City was in now and then. We would call that a commanding lead. It would certainly feel commanding if it was a lead that we were in second place, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it? You know we what feel I mean? Commanded. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? You know, so it's, it's it's about psychology and that. So I think he's going to be more than satisfied. And how do you keep these lads um, on the toes? And how do you keep them at it? And how do you keep them hungry? And how do you keep them focused when they're just not getting a game every week? And, you know, the hopes are that they really want to get on the pitch and a game comes and then a game midweek doesn't come and all that business. Which, so it's, which it's lads about would that, you think, <clears throat> speaking like hypothetically now, which lads would you think would be would be pissed off that they're not getting a game? You know, from that from that squad, you've got the two okay, young yeah. lads, two or three young lads who probably know they're going to have to bide the time, and then you've got a few injuries as yeah. well. Fellas coming back from injury, so we're we looking at the likes of Lallana and players like that. Who I think Lallana might be designed to the fact that he knows he's the last choice. <coughs> And it's his last season, but you're only an injury or two away from, and a good run of form away from being involved. And it's you know, it's, so there's one thing. Um, I think the Shaq um, has got every right to feel a bit perturbed. Obviously, the manager quite clearly doesn't trust the defensive side of his game. Look what he can contribute when a game's going to be played entirely on the front foot. Ask Barcelona how that feels. So he's got the ingredients there, and these are so important, aren't they? Because what you need is how do you keep someone like Shaqiri? Uh, mentally and physically focused and in the rhythm of things that he is of use when it comes later in the season. Mm. So going back to what you were saying before is you'd have to keep dripping them in. So I think the Shaq will be the one who's pissed off the most. Yeah, I wonder, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I just think he's got this knack, hasn't he? The manager of of almost being a, at times a psychologist. And, you know, mm. the, I always think back to when we were in the European Cup in Madrid in June. And every one of them players are on the pitch and they're jubilant and they're all feeling and like... they were, yeah, they were, genuine. Because they're yeah. all feeling like they played their own part. Mm. And, you know, that could be someone like Joe Gomez or Chamberlain who, who spent the, the majority of the season out. But he's harnessed this togetherness that, that says, if you're here, if you're coming in here every day with the right attitude and you're contributing, then you're going to be a part of this and you're going to be a part of what we achieve together. And I get that, that might not be enough for footballers who want to play football. But at the same time, you know, I, I read something yesterday about when the whole Bobby Duncan thing got generalised and it said that when he left Liverpool after they got rid of two strikers, three if you count Solanke in the last 12 months, mm-hmm. didn't replace them. And he's got a better opportunity there at, you know, one of the top two clubs in England than he would ever have anywhere else. So 
whilst it does look ominous for a couple of players, there is only just a case of one injury being yep. there. And yeah. then look at Dayan Lovren, for example. Mm. You know, Dayan Lovren's in against Leicester on the back of one injury to Joel Matip. And... Plays like he's never been out. Plays yeah, like he's never an out, exemplary but, attitude. But, but also plays after he's got thousands of dickheads online, like I was telling him he'll never play before Joe Gomez. Mm. You know, so... <laughs> yeah. Excellent stuff. Uh, right, then we'll move ourselves along. Come on, we've got the Katumba stuff, we've got John Connor stuff, we've got Lottie Whitwell stuff, we've got Last Van Standen stuff, all the stuff you need for the weekend. And it's John Givens for the Anfield Wrap on the weekend. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Juliana, who's from Katumba, uh, who's going to talk to us about, well, an exciting Halloween parade that's coming up uh, across the city centre of Liverpool. But also, um, it'd be nice to find out a little bit more about Katumba because Katumba, I've seen, I've heard about, but I don't necessarily know the story. So we'll get into that too. So first of all, welcome. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. It's 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 pleasure to speak to you because, as I say, I've I've you know for a while you know coming to into town when when I've seen these parades, not just this one, but obviously Basilica and amazing events like that and. I was going to say, you see Katumba coming, you hear them coming first down, down the road, and then you, you kind of see this this army of, of all different types of people, all different types of ages who are, who are together. So, I mean, if you could tell all of us, including me, more about Katumba and how it started and where it is now. Oh, fab. So you don't run the other way. You hear Katumba, I'm going the other way. You know, <laughs> oh, you're no, going no, towards no, no. it. You get excited. <laughs> fab, but that's exactly how you say it. Katumba is very much about inclusivity welcoming everyone. Basically, our mission is health and well-being, physical and mental health and, and well-being through drumming and movement. So drumming and movement happens to be the tools we use because that's what we're best at, myself and uh, my partner, who co- we co-founded Katumba. And we, our aim is to bring people together through that. It's very equalizing, so it's very open to anyone, 18 and above. We don't have a youth group yet, but we do get we do workshops with schools and yeah. young people. We get asked a lot to do that. Uh, but at the moment, the group, the band itself is 18 and above. And we have people from 18 all the way to 75, all walks of life, all countries. And that's what one of the beautiful things about it. And also to see people feeling empowered by being able to drum Brazilian music, other compositions that we make and just be able to perform everywhere and just see the joy in their faces, obviously drumming, but also the public around, like yourself. Yeah, I mean... I'm a, I'm a musician myself, and I feel and I, I would say that there's there's one thing playing on your own, but being part of a big group and making something together that that turn people's heads and making people go wild. There's no feeling quite like it, is Absolutely. there? When when you can do that and when you can do something, as I say, all in a big group, and you feel you feel power. You as you say, powerful afterwards. Very much so. It's very healing as well. I feel very powerful because you're part of a bigger thing. And you're producing this powerful sound and movement and doing it together as a collective. So there is a very special part of it that comes from that. And then that's why also we get asked to do a lot of team building workshops. We go into a lot of companies because there is that of coming together as a group of people, obviously having a lot of fun, but producing something together and having a goal at the end and then achieving that. So it's very important that as well. Obviously, we're a football podcast, so Liverpool Football Club has a strong Brazilian kind of feel to it, and has done yeah, for yeah, a few yeah. years now. I wonder if you've 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 kind of experienced more interest in Brazilian culture because mm-hmm. because of the fact that we've got these you know heroes like Roberto Firmino playing for Liverpool. Absolutely, yes. Being Brazilian myself, so we do find there's a lot of connection, and then that interest as well. So people see us, and then they are excited about it, and they see more. The presence of Brazilian culture here in Liverpool, obviously with it, with like you said, um, Enfield. Um, 
But the Brazilian restaurants, obviously, yeah. we all love Brazilian food. So Brazilian music just ties into that as well as the whole Brazilian culture. And myself being Brazilian, living here in Liverpool is very lovely to see that, to see my culture being embraced by Scousers who are amazing. <laughs> and we're just producing something even better by bringing everyone together. And that's what Katumba is about and what the parade is about as well. The Halloween, the whole project of the Halloween, really. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go on to talk about the, the Halloween parade it, itself in, in a second, but it's another thing that, that Liverpool Council kind of put on and, you know, there's partners and lots of people who kind of deserve credit for it, but it's a it's something that's free and something that's in the streets and something that's exciting. And that's something that's, to me, that, that I feel that, that Liverpool's good at. And I don't know if you've obviously moved here from elsewhere. Have you been pleased to find a kind of home for your talents and a home for your passion, but also somewhere where, where everyone can kind of get involved really. Yeah, definitely. Well, I was living, I'm from Brazil originally, but I was living in the United States before I moved here. I was living in Washington, D.C. And people usually ask me, how, why did you move here? <laughs> and I really, like, that was one of the things when I moved here, um, I really found such a heart based people and really warm people in yeah. Liverpool, very welcoming. And that was from the get-go a very positive attitude and being, you know, moving here and then starting the business, starting our social enterprise and developing this work here in Liverpool. Obviously, the way that people from here are, the way they welcomed has been super important for that. One thing that I wanted to mention is not, um, even though the Liverpool Council does support us yeah. and we do a lot of stuff together, it's not organized by the council yeah. and it's our initiative. Um, so because we've been doing the way we started was many, many years ago in a very sort of like last minute, let's just go and drum our, bang our drums, Halloween dressed up funnily in the middle of town at midnight kind of thing. It was just like <laughs> a tiny group of people. It was actually before I moved here. My partner, Richie, uh, used to do that. And then it developed from that Amazing. to what it is now, yeah. So what it is now, uh, we have uh, it's Saturday the 26th of October. It is a Halloween parade in Liverpool City Centre. The theme is From Darkness to Light this year. So if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So we wanted to uh, steer away from the usual Americanized Halloween. We wanted to bring back a little bit more to reflect where we are based. So British culture in terms of um, ancient British traditions and how that links to other ancient traditions. So even though it brings us back to um, the British culture and so on, but how really the British culture, all these other different cultures like Brazilian culture, Indian culture, and so many others at the bottom of it all have so many things in common. So it brings us back to this sense of unity, even though the theme is kind of like playing into separation, darkness versus light, good versus evil. So how we all have that inside us and also kind of comes from back in the day with the plant with um, growing things and being to agriculture. Um, we would be very connected to the change of seasons and how, you know, in this time of year, we would go from longer nights and shorter days and what that would translate and mean for us. And then they believe that there was this portal that opened. Um, <laughs> and then with that, there was this communication between evil and good and so on. So we are playing on that theme a little bit, but also bringing to the times we live in now, because a lot of uncertainty, a lot of changes yeah. as well. So it's bringing a little bit of that magic into our reality that we're experiencing now. 
So the parade starts at 8pm on the corner of Bold Street and Coldcourt Street, but it goes throughout Liverpool. You're using the Liverpool City Centre as your playground and encouraging people to get involved at different points, watch from different points. I know there's going to be vantage points in Liverpool 1 and things like that as well. And it's, it's yeah, it's it's just kind of enjoy it really and enjoy the, the spectacle that you guys are going to put on. Yes, please do come watch. But this year for the first time, uh, thanks to Funny from the Arts Council, which yeah. we received for the first time. Great. We are welcoming the public to be part of the parade. So this Sunday, the 20th, we have our first community engagement workshop. So we have lantern making workshops and props like lit up props, really beautiful props that all ages can come and take part. So you can have babies all the way to the same way Katumba is, all the way to upper 70s, 80s coming together to learn how to make this beautiful props. So that's this Sunday, the 20th um, at our Katumba Culture Hub, our space. You can go on our website to find out more about that. Would lovely to see everyone there. You can bring the lanterns and the props that you made to be part of the parade. Wonderful. Or if you can make it to the parade for whatever crazy reason, how could you not? <laughs> uh, you can, one of our volunteers will um, display your beautiful creation for the parade. Um, and then you can join us on the 31st, which is Halloween proper. We are doing another Halloween party at our hub, which is housing John Archer Hall in Toxteth. So you can bring your prop then, your lantern then as well. We're going to have trick-or-treating workshops, which obviously like brings all the elements of what we do together, drumming, movement, circus skills, and capoeira, Brazilian arts, and so on. Yeah, I mean, so a few different opportunities for people to get involved. Absolutely. I know the... The, the parade itself is the night before the, the Tottenham game. So people who are in, in town for the weekend do kind of look out for you guys. As I say, you'll hear them. Um, certainly kind of if you, if you are out in Liverpool City Centre, but enjoy it. And it is it is for everyone to kind of enjoy really, isn't it? And, and the, these events. And it's great that you guys kind of throw this party because I think it's, mm-hmm. as I say, it is something that, that Liverpool does well. It seems to me that, you know, we're embracing other cultures, being interested in other things and... Yeah, we, we, we love music, we love dancing, and we love having a good time. Oh, so do we. So if you're <laughs> anyone around the 26th of October, that's our big Halloween parade. So please do come join us, watch, take part, uh, interact. We're going to have lots of surprises as well. So it's going to be Great. some characters part of the parade that you're going to be come and have fun. You can have fun with and you just watch everything, all this beautiful spectacle that we're putting together for everyone. And just, and just to kind of, before we finish, I think, um, to touch on Basilica a little bit because that's obviously grown into it into a huge event now as well. It's on every year. It's one of the highlights of my calendar. What I find remarkable is, uh, well, one of the things I really like about it is um, obviously there's you guys, you know, but, but there's, there's groups from up and down the country and now even 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 further afield who, who come and kind of get involved really. And so these groups exist you know, in lots of different cities. So if anyone's listening from a different place, I think so. I'd love to get involved in that, but, you know, I don't live in Liverpool. I guess we'd encourage people to to look up maybe their local group and kind of get involved because it's something that, that you'll really enjoy. Definitely, yes. We get, we'd love being part of the, the Brasilica Carnival. Yeah. Um, it is the closest thing to Brazilian Carnival you get here in Liverpool. So Roger and me who organise it are, you know, top at, at doing that. And absolutely, you have groups from all over the country. It just goes to show how... It brings people together, mm. this type of music, this type of playing as well, that anyone can do it. So we definitely do encourage everyone to come have a look at, at it, take part if you're not in Liverpool, but finding a group next to you. Yeah. Coincidentally, we just started our new group of beginners. So every year we open our doors up to everyone. So we have a lovely group of 40 people now beginning to learn how to drum and so on. So 
very, very much encourage. Um, and I wanted to give a little shout out to to Liverpool FC because we play for them a few times. So oh, great. Being, yeah, being here in the radio show, show as well, it's been lovely to have and bring that atmosphere to the games and to the players and so into the audience as well i'm sure the players love it yeah uh, fantastic if you want to know more about katumba itself uh you've got a website obviously katumba.co.uk the facebook is katumba drumming uh the instagram is katumba drumming and the twitter is kumba blocko um katumba blocko sorry um so yeah so if you want to know more about what they do but yeah thanks so much juliana for coming in and thanks for throwing this party it's gonna be great next saturday night oh i'll see you there thanks <laughs> obrigada it's Neil Atkinson and John Gibbons with the Last Fan Standing General Knowledge Quiz. And we've done some more work for Last Fan Standing today, haven't we, John? Yeah, we've done a series of quizzes for them for the next week or so. So we're doing... So what they do is they do a quiz every night. So at 7 o'clock, you can download the app and play. It's completely free. And yeah, it, it, it's good fun. And so we've done the one for Friday nights, which I guess is tonight if you're listening when you download it. And then also the one for next Tuesday. And then we've also done the predicted quizzes, which is the ones built around games. And that's when you can win money. And that's when it does get a little bit more exciting. And so we've done that for the Man United game and for Genk away. Yep. So we've done four. So we've done four. So they're all to come for you. But what we do is we take one of the ones. Uh, this is one of the ones we've done. Uh, but this is going to go out tomorrow night. So it's a bit of an advantage for you. Um, this is one of the ones that will happen. And if you're listening, uh, you'll be able to get these questions in advance and possibly the answers. And George, who's your representative, representative <laughs> of the people uh, of the Anfield Rap subscribe is going to play as he goes through he's got 10 questions he could answer and we'll see how he does the leaderboard John tells me is currently led by Liam who has 3 yeah that's right Darren week 1 only got 1 but we were both learning to be honest with you my pronunciations were all over the place yeah um, it was a tough one as well. I got apologies from David for last fan standing for sending such a hard one over. Really, it was, it was that wild, yeah. But uh, but Liam did a bit better last week. He got three. So so that's the leaderboard at the moment. I mean, it's a virtual leaderboard. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it's a virtual leaderboard, and God knows someone who's top of Christmas might win something. <laughs> uh, George, who's on the line, has won uh, a piece of Anfield rap merch just by virtue of turning up to do the quiz. George, uh, which, as far as I'm concerned, is very liberal with the merch. What bit of merch are you going to go for? Oh, no, he doesn't get to pick. Um, oh, sorry, George, <laughs> you don't get to pick. Uh, if you could pick, George, just as a guide, what piece of merch would you go for? Um, I quite like the the T-shirt with the Origi tweet, you know, the Belgian flag. Yeah, Sound. you can have that one. You can have that one. I was just worried you were going to say one that we've run out in one size, basically. Um, <laughs> so I was worried you going to say, do you know what? I'd love to enlarge and we wouldn't have any. No, the, the tweet one you can have. That's sound. I'll write that down. We've got <laughs> them in all sizes. Yeah, what size are you, George? I mean, you'd have to say uh, on air if you don't want to. It's like who you vote for. I'm going to go for a medium and be optimistic. I like that. Honestly, I like your chutzpah, George. Especially just before Christmas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Something for us all to look forward to. Um, okay, so we're going to start the quiz now. Uh, so three is the target. Um, so the first question is this. I want you to think about it, George, before you commit. Who scored Liverpool's last goal of the 2018-2019 season, Origi or Salah? Uh, Divock Origi. It is, George. It's the one that won the European Cup, made to make it 2-0. But you just think about yeah. the league, don't you? Yeah, that, no, honestly, that's why I said things. <laughs> just try and, uh, try and... Uh, you like that? Was, it was Manny against Wolves. <laughs> I was trying to work out if, like, Super Cup counted. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, do you want to do the second one, John? Yeah. Uh, Divock Origi, that guy again, plays his international football for who? Is it Senegal, Germany or Belgium? Belgium. Flying. Two out of two. 
Uh, this is a yes or no uh, situation, to be honest with you, George. Uh, okay. To be honest with you, like I'm breaking it to you. <laughs> um, has Sadio Mane ever scored against Liverpool? Yes or no? Yes. He has, yes. He scored at Anfield? Yep. Uh, enormous. He scored the one where Southampton came from behind, I think. Uh, yeah, he does yeah. the 3 2, yeah. All right, with your facts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's three out of three. So you're now joint top of the leaderboard. John. Next one. Did Liverpool buy Genie Wijnaldum from another English club? Yes or no? Yes. Did Darren's listen to this fuming? You know, he had all sorts. Did he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. It was. He had Champions League group stage last year or something, and the questions <laughs> were honestly mad. Uh, but yeah, four out of four. Four flying. out of four flying. Okay, which former Reds held the record for fastest Premier League hat trick before Sadio Mane? Was it Owen or Fowler? Uh, Fowler. Yep, yeah, Arsenal. Fowler is right. Five out of five. Uh, Wait. Number six, Steven Gerrard was Liverpool's longest serving captain, true or false? False. It's true. It's true. Uh, five is top of the leaderboard, George, but don't worry, you're going to get the t shirt anyway. It is true. Uh, Liverpool's longest serving captain. It is from 04 till 15, isn't it? It is 11 years, to be fair. Yeah, it's a while, that. I yeah. thought it was like Hughes or someone way back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's always an old fella who's done something, isn't there? <laughs> Honestly. Uh, problem, yeah, problem society today, that sort of thing. Uh, there's always an old fella who's done something. Uh, do you enjoy that, George? Yeah, it was good, mate. Nice one. Uh, encourage your, encourage your mates to co- come and uh, sign up for it as well. Or maybe maybe next week on the subscribers group, John will give everyone more than 20 minutes notice. Uh, I, I would, I'm not promising anything. <laughs> I, I, said, I said last week I'd give people more notice. I reckon it was less. <laughs> so, you know, so so no promising. But just before you go, George, do you reckon the Reds are going to win on Sunday? I think it'll be a dog of a game. but And I think Solskjaer will set out to just kill it. But I'm hoping we show a little bit more ambition than we did earlier in the year. And if we do, then we should kill them, really. Excellent stuff. Uh, like the attitude, George, uh, I think it will be a bit of a slog for half an hour, but then you never know this Liverpool side does grow into games more and more these days. Uh, thank you very much for yeah. that. Thanks, everyone. Last fan standing, download it, have a go at it. As I say, we're doing stuff around it, so see if you can win on the predictor stuff. We've done it today. It's tricky, I'm not going to lie to you, but therefore it's therefore more challenging, so you can go from there. Thanks, John. Thanks, George. See you in a bit. We talked about the Irish Festival last week, and this week we've got John Connors on, who's got a play called Ireland's Call, which he's written, uh, and which he is performing in in Liverpool on the 21st of October, 8pm downstairs at the Royal Court. And John, do you want to give us a pressy of what the play's about? Absolutely. The play is told through the character of James, who is from a working-class background in Kulak. He sort of is a reject because he grew up with the stigma of having his mother and father both being heroin addicts. And he has two friends. One friend is named English because he was born in England but came back when he was two years old. So he's an outsider. And his friend is Patrick, who's half Nigerian. So they're three. Their dream is to go to Obita. Ever since we saw the film Kevin and Perry Go Large. So it starts <laughs> off very comedic, but the dream going to Obita. It's all based on a bit of my own life and my own aspirations. And then we go into, we deal with, with, with themes like colonialism, um, uh, drug addiction, suicide. Uh, elitism, the Catholic Church and the clerical abuse here in Ireland and most of all the biggest team here that can, anybody can relate and I know a lot of people in Liverpool can which is class it's the one that, uh, subject that we that we shy away from in Ireland so uh, it's kind of no holds barred there's lots of laughs but uh, it goes up and down it's sort of like it's like imagine a mad weekend away in a drug binge where you go <laughs> to your highest high and then you go to your lowest low so it's when you give them a hug and give them a laugh you punch them in the stomach hey 
I mean, you're bringing this play over at one hell of a time to do it, John. You know, it's a right now class in, a, in, in, in British life. It's never been more, more of a stark issue identity feelings of for instance where are you actually from and what's it all meant to mean it, right now with what's happening in the political situation it's never been as chaotic as it is now yeah man it's actually very scary times I suppose my biggest worry is Ireland and the north of Ireland and what yeah. will happen there however man I'm not going to lie about things I was pro-Brexit and I know that's controversial in some parts and the reason why is because I suppose I saw the reunification of Ireland um, through Brexit that's what I saw so yeah. from an Irish perspective Although now it's getting kind of scary and uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, listen, we're talking about class here in the play. This is a, this is obviously a big thing going on in the Brexit as well. And there's people from both sides. I suppose there's people who are against it, who are seeing that you want to unite people all across Europe. And there's people who are against, who are, you know, really about class. There's, I know there's a, I have some social socialist working class friends from England who campaign for Brexit. So there's people on both sides, yeah. you know. I think yourself, like... The one thing that Europe does is they put pressure on countries, and they did it with us with the Lisbon Treaty and the Nice Treaty, and they make you vote again. My personal uh, opinion is that going for another referendum is a mistake. I think people should be respected in their vote. But listen, I'm not an Englishman. I'm an Irishman, and I just hope that my country gets united, and then you can all deal with your own problems. <laughs> Except for Liverpool. Liverpool's like the 33rd. They're like the 33rd county of Ireland. So, And I love how Liverpool. I've been there so many times, man. When I go there... I've never ever been so warmly welcomed by uh, a British city because it's the one British city that you go, you're Irish, and it's a bonus, and people want to welcome you and and let you know that their aunt is Irish or their uncle or their grandparents, and so uh, you know. Uh, commiserations and all that. Now, <laughs> it all works out. Well, no, I mean, just on that, just as you know, as, as you brought it up there, it is, it is worth pointing that out that there's a current thing at the minute where everyone is quite casually sort of assuming that, you know, in, in, in a liberal or times a socialist voice, that obviously the retention of the union is a good thing or something that's got to be looked after. And, and, you know, there is a swathe of opinion both in the United Kingdom and also, you know, obviously over in Ireland that, you know, at some sort of point that's going to happen anyway and this could come to pass. But it's the fact that it's done so chaotically and in a way that isn't respecting the communities. That's what worries me. Not in this sort of absolute chaotic, just deal with all this, will you? Which is currently what it looks like yeah. Northern Ireland are getting. Well, what what will happen is the stakes are rising so high that panic will set in, and when human beings are panicked, stupid things happen. And this yeah. is what I'm worried about. Talk of a hard border, any sort of border. I know personally, our friends up there in the north, people live on the border. I've heard already that if anything goes up, even a camera goes up, yeah. that something is going to kick off, really kick off for real. And this is what concerns me. And it's why I'm at the stage that I hope it just happens ASAP so we can kind of get over it. Because until then, it's panic stations. And next week, now I'm in Liverpool, and then I'll be over four days in Belfast. And this is just a crazy time to be doing the play, and people are super revved up. So I just hope for a speedy, fast Brexit, because I honestly don't want it to be dragged on another referendum again, because we're going to be talking about Brexit for another year, and it's going to be even more uh, heightened. Honestly, I say just cut it off, take it off like a plaster now, and have done with it. John, even if we do that, we're going to be talking about it for the rest of our lives. Anyway, we'll park it for now. We'll talk about you. You, 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 yeah. you won a Best best Actor in a Film last year for your work in Cardboard Gangsters. You did the work that you did in Love Hate going back years. I know a lot of people in, 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 in England have seen Love Hate and respect it as a fantastic piece of work. Career's going from strength to strength, really, and it, it does feel as though you very much get to, get to have your variation of your career. You're very much an actor, I think, from the outside with the little I know from the industry who's picking his roles, picking his moments and doing projects he wants to. To do absolutely and i suppose that the reality was that i didn't get a lot of options didn't get a lot of people want to represent me i suppose 
I still have the stigma of being a traveller and just being identified as that and being so well known because I'm so vocal in, in, in Ireland for traveller issues and working class issues. So there's a, there's a few different sort of biases against me. And what I've tried to do is carve my own way as an artist, not compare my career to anybody else. Look at what yeah. I want to do from an acting perspective, what I want to say from a writing perspective, and also directing, which is what I'm doing today. I'm casting for my new short film, Innocent Boy, which is a traveller short film about a little boy who's deaf and is getting bullied, and he's sort of a double whammy being deaf and a traveller. So these are the interesting projects I want to do and carve my own road. And it's with this one-man show, Ireland's Call, it's something that it's it's made me such a better actor, made me so more so much more aware of where I come from and my identity and how to, I have to keep on to that, and uh, like and it just made me have fun again as an actor because when all the other political stuff comes into it, it just drowns out your energy. And this has made me kind of fall in love with acting again. And now I'm a better actor than I've ever been on every show. Like people say, you're not sick of it now because I've done like sixty shows or whatever. <laughs> And like, and every show is better. Every show I feel better. Every show I'm looking forward to it. Every show I want to make a difference. And I could do it forever, you know what I mean? But I'm going to park it aside eventually. But I'm really enjoying it, you know. I'm just really enjoying acting. And at a simple level, man, you have to have that. I think it's one of the things that's interesting is I think some actors find the way through through you know ultimately through performance. I think there's this idea that you sort of do it, it gets frozen. I think that you know that's why a lot of a lot of actors who specialise in, for instance, in, in film and TV, they settle. Whereas there's there's other actors who you know who, who love that sort of that feeling of finding themselves and finding the material through performance. And I think that that's one of the things that in the, reading the reviews around Ireland's call, that's one of the things that you're doing. This is this is something that's alive, and I think that that's when you know theatres theatres with you, and that's where it does separate itself. From from film and TV is is when when it's alive for the performer. It's not just night after night. Instead, every night's almost like the first. Hundred percent, man. The thing is with me, uh, my approach to acting is very personal in the sense that I'm not trying to become the character. I'm putting me into the character. A lot of actors run away from themselves. I run towards myself, mm. and I want myself. I don't. I don't want to consume the character. I want to exude it. You know what I mean? So that's where I deal with the stuff that I have inside me and that's where I get the catharsis which is like the ultimate feeling as an actor and you're kind of you're constantly finding that and there's a you know like your your unconscious is like an iceberg what we see in the water up over the water above water isn't is any small but it goes down for miles and that stuff comes through every night because you're doing it differently and some nights you hit on a different note and that unconscious starts to play and then it manifests in something new and surprises me which is you have to get surprises and when I don't get surprised I'm going to give up the play which will be next year I think <laughs> but, uh, but at the moment at the moment it's coming out it's coming from the unconscious you know uh, yeah I just want to talk about the developments of it as well you did it with a, I think it's showing a bag uh, which is uh, sort of part of the Dublin Fringe I think that that's this is something that the importance of, of development, developmental companies like that just, just at times gets lost you know the idea of them being able to give people some time and space to be able to, to work something through and, and, and resource with theatre makers I think it's really really important and you know obviously it's been important for this piece Yeah no absolutely man it's the show in the bag programme with the Fringe and Irish Theatre Institute and Fishamble these are the best in the Irish Theatre Institute uh, uh, industry and they all took me under their arms gave me rehearsal spaces gave me Gavin Kostick from Fishamble is one of the greatest like uh, uh, directors and writers uh, in the country and actors as well and he gave me his absolute expertise in theatre which wouldn't have been my forte and uh, helped me develop the script early on and then I got Jimmy Small on on board who they hired and paid for to direct it for me who just learned me so much about the play so much about myself so much about life and me and Jimmy have been going from strength to strength I'm actually making the play now into a film into a screenplay so 
uh, because uh, there's never been a film like this in Ireland. We kind of shy away from politics in Ireland. We don't. We've never had a new wave of cinema like the French New Wave, Italian neorealism, or the British realism of the eighties and nineties, the Ken Loaches, the Meadows, the Clarks, that kind of stuff. So we're trying to go down that kind of route with this. It's never really been done in Ireland. So, I mean, it's all about learning. Man, having I.E.I. Fishamble and uh, the Fringe was just amazing, and the support they've get, I've gotten more support from them than I've ever had in the film industry. So that's so important for new voices, and they're actually genuinely looking for new voices, new working class voices, which is beautiful. Brilliant stuff. You can see it downstairs at the Royal Court on the 21st. It's 8 p.m. start. It'll be an absolute belter from the sound of things. John Connors is going to give you everything he's got. He's going to find himself on stage, and you'll find yourself as well if you get to go down there and watch. And listen, there's so much stuff at the Irish Festival, liverpoolirishfestival.com. If you can't find something for you in amongst all of that, you're absolutely playing at it. A pleasure to be joined by Laurie Whitwell of The Athletic, uh, the Anfield rapper partner with The Athletic this year. They're our lead partner until the end of the season. If you want to sign up, and there's... Uh, I keep saying this, it's not an insult to James or Simon who've done brilliant work around Liverpool Football Club, but what I've found The Athletic brilliant for is to find out what's going on elsewhere, and that's what's got my attention. So if you do want to sign up, and I think it is worth doing, it's theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield Rap, and on there there's some offers uh, of reductions depending on which one you go for. Uh, And yeah, I think it is very, very well worth it if you want to find out what's happening anywhere. And as part of that, we're made up to have Laurie join us right now to chat away about Manchester United and... Laurie, it's obviously from a Liverpool point of view, it's you know, it's it's the sort of it, it, it gladdens your heart. But it is fair to say that this is a it's a shadow of a Manchester United side, to be honest with you. And almost every team sheet that comes in, I'm 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 startled by the scarcity of talent. Um it's not what I'm used to seeing from Manchester United. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I did a piece um last week with a, with a, uh, three colleagues of mine on uh, Edward Wood on obviously the, the recruitment um in the summer that has um, the three players that they brought in were, were, were fine, were, were good, looked like they've actually made a real positive impact, um, but there just wasn't enough uh, with the players that went out. Um, so obviously Solskjaer had to send on, for example, Mason Greenwood, who's a really promising young um, you know, striker, but he's only just 18, uh, and Tahith Chong, um, who's 19, a winger at, at St. James's Park, to try and salvage something, which is just not the way United should be. It should be a case of having a strong subs bench where you can actually make Substitutions that really do affect the game, um, with yeah. some experience, um, or at least players that have had a couple of years at this level, at least. It's it is almost every you know, and without being rude about any player, because I think that one of the things I and I've seen this with Liverpool sides, there's a lot of a lot of these younger players. If it was one of them in the setup then and the, the setup was otherwise functioning fine then I think you'd be able to to be a little bit warmer uh, about them and about their abilities. But it it's like for instance, you know. The, the equivalent of Scott McTominay, and not just because of nationality, 10 years ago, was Darren Fletcher. And Darren Fletcher was yeah. a really, really good player who added a lot to a Manchester United side. And McTominay's become a little bit of a figure of fun, even though I think he's a really good player, but a really good player who's left to be Manchester United's best midfielder when he actually should be Manchester United's developing midfielder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's... I, I think full credit to him for taking on that kind of mantle. Um, he's shown sort of leadership qualities in some ways, really. Um, I accept that perhaps... Talent-wise, he's not going to be the guy that is creating and you know seizing games by the scruff of the neck. But I do, I do think he's, he's made some important contributions already. Um, and just the, the way he is really around the place, I think his mentality is good. He's obviously immersed in the club for a number of years. But as you say, you kind of want to be dropping those in, those kind of players in and out of the team around sort of world-class talent. Um, obviously, you know, I guess it's been said numerous times before, but the class of '92 and all that came through at a time when you had you know Cantona, Hughes, uh, Bruce, you know other other players that were steeped in the game that they could actually learn off and bounce off and they could be taken out the firing line as and when they needed to whereas at the moment for example Rashford 
I know he's had three seasons, so perhaps you know he is kind of considered a, a sort of senior player, but he's only turning 22 this year. And Solskjaer has admitted today that he actually can't take him out of the firing line because he's got nobody else to, to go in there, and perhaps he would actually benefit from a little bit of a break. So, yeah, there's a few examples like that where you kind of feel like the, the structure isn't there to support the younger players, which is frustrating, really. It's it's it. The, the conversation there, and you've written the piece this week. It's it's how it's sort of come to this to, to this impasse. To be honest with you, that now you're, for instance, looking at Manchester United, and listen, it could change. It could change on Sunday, but right now it's difficult to have a conversation with them. Not let alone the top four, but at the minute mm. you feel as though top six status looks a little bit wobbly, and that you know to me that's it's spectacular given the the money that's been able to be invested over a period of time, and it is. It is a bit of a dark moment, I think, because it, it does show that money can't solve everything. And I always thought United, oh, they'll always be fine, they'll always be fine. But for the first time, I'm looking at it and thinking, they might not be, you know, not maybe not for a couple of seasons. Mm, well, I think that, that's the sort of reset, the cultural reset that Solskjaer is um, trying to initiate, which I to honest, fully support, um, because I feel like with Mourinho, it just got to a stage where it was divisive and the kind of style that he was implementing wasn't really what United wanted, albeit it came with, you know, some silverware, you know, and he's fair enough that he can point back to, you know, finishing second, you know, it wasn't that long ago that they were sort of almost challenging City for, for the title, albeit ended up finishing sort of 19 points behind them. So, um, but I think that this kind of adjustment was, was really required, Um I guess just the question is, is, is Solskjaer the guy to see it through? Personally, I've been encouraged by sort of the, the acts that he's made behind the scenes and, and to be honest, what he's been saying after games, even when it's been um, disappointing. Um, so I just think you have to kind of stick with it now, um, albeit, yeah, take your medicine really, um, accept that there's going to be difficulties. I suppose you'd sort of ask the question, how long, you know, I mean, the two points with the relegation zone, clearly they're not going to finish that way. But when you're looking at, trying to get into the Champions League place and, and then obviously the top six beyond that and it's looking difficult then you know it, it, you kind of have to weigh it up and say listen okay we'll write the season off as long as we're, we're bringing through the younger players we accept that they're going to take time to bed in um, the new signings that they'll be more sort of in, incorporated into the structure um, after a season I mean they really do have to make signings in January they're sort of talking about it being a difficult month to do that in but you know I don't think you can sort of just then disregard it as, as an opportunity to bring um, proper players in, um, quality players. Um, they've got to try everything really to just sort of make sure that it doesn't. I mean, because this season could, you know, it, it would be in danger of unraveling if there's not sort of support there. Um, I think the injuries obviously had a major impact. You know, Marshall being out, Pogba being out, uh, Wan Bissaka, uh, Lingard. It sort of it, it keeps being. I mean, De Gea obviously in, in, in midweek. You know, you think, kind of think goalkeeper goalkeeper should be immune from kind of muscle injuries, but but he's pulled his groin so. He's obviously a doubt for the Liverpool game. I think probably going to be out, actually. Um, so, yeah, it's not a great situation <laughs> at all told. And it's, it's kind of... I, I, want to, I want to back Solskjaer. I think he's, you know, he kind of... It's rare in this day and age that you have um, somebody at the club who clearly, you know, has the club at heart um, and you want to get behind them in that sense. Um, I think it's probably people can beat um, you know, the likes of Solskjaer and Lampard with a bit of a stick and say, well, he's only in that position because of, of the playing yeah. history that he's got. But I, I actually quite like that. I quite get on board with, with that. I mean, football's there for enjoyment. So why not have a guy as manager who, you know, clearly you, you would enjoy at least having there. Um, so I kind of want to support him, but it obviously does need, I don't know, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a great situation. The football's been pretty um, bad in recent weeks. So, um, you know, you never know. I'm not. You go into that Liverpool game, sort of thinking, you know, thinking the worst, really, and thinking, I'm thinking nil-nil. It perhaps could be 
the uh, the, the best United hopeful, which is really a, a damning indictment, to be honest. Um, you say that on the nil nil before we get into the actual specifics of the Liverpool game for a minute. It, you know, you look so, at United. You look, you know, it's fine. You look at the stats from United this season, and you know, just little things around expected goals within Manchester United's games, whether it's for or against. To be honest with you, there's just so little goal malfaction. Now that's great at one end of the pitch, of course it obviously is, but it does feel as though it's come slightly, maybe slightly at the expense of what's at the other end of the pitch. United, they're not giving away many chances, and the chances they are they are giving away aren't that good. But broadly speaking, they're not creating many chances, and the chances that they are creating aren't that good. And it's it, you know, it feels as though from afar, whenever I've seen United this season, there's a lot of midfield, and a lot of it's a lot of, a lot of the matches are taking place in midfield, and a lot of it just isn't pretty. It's very slow, um, to be honest, which is weird. You know, when you look at the Chelsea game and, and, and the fast, incisive action that that was, albeit okay, Chelsea obviously left spaces for them to, to do that in. Um, but even at Wolves, you know, when they they sort of tried to restrict the space, you know, United looked pretty good passing through the lines. The Marshall goal was an example of that, and you know, Pogba scores that penalty it could be different now. Um, but yeah, I mean, at Newcastle it was so so uh, tedious, really. Uh, Fred just, I mean, I tried to get behind him a little bit. Um, he came on against uh, Leicester and, and did a good job for the last twenty minutes, sort of seeing it out, brought energy, but. Uh, it just doesn't seem the right quality. I don't really know how they managed to spend that much money on him um, because his, his first touch wasn't great. And it, it just sort of seems to slow the action down. Um, and then obviously if you've got Mata there, who's a great technical um, player, but isn't the kind of guy really to, to seize a game and, and, and give it that impetus um, that you'd want from a United performance, um, it just becomes very, you know, as you said, um, ponderous um, side to side you know they had 60 of percent possession at Newcastle but didn't really do anything with it um, which is you know poor really uh, so with this game then you mentioned before no De Gea realistically but Romeo could work quite well in that he's got a good direct kicking and if United are going to try and play on the break that's no bad thing looking at a couple of other positions as well do you think Martial will make it? I don't know. They're sort of keep. There's been positive signs, but then again, they've been positive signs. You know, sort of week after week. Really, I mean, the, the original injury. I don't think we all sort of thought it was going to be a couple of weeks, and it sort of got to this stage already. When, yeah, which is crazy. Um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't put my house on it. You know, I, I'd probably imagine Rashford starts again. Um, I'm not getting the necessarily noises that Marcel's ready to to go. Obviously, he's had international break off. Um, uh, yeah, Romero has actually got a pretty good record um, with United, I think, as well, um, you know, in terms of win ratios and, and clean sheet records. So it's not you know, the end of the world, certainly. He's a very good keeper himself, 96 uh, Argentina caps. So he, he'll, he'll definitely be OK sort of stepping in. I suppose it's just, does he bring that confidence that De Gea would, would naturally bring? Um, yeah, so, but it, it, again, it could be a similar lineup to the one that, that, that you know, faced Newcastle with Pogba being out. Um, you know, you're kind of looking for that midfield creativity and, and, and not really finding it. If it's going to be Fred and McTominay with Matter in front, it's, I don't know, it just doesn't doesn't really look great. I mean, we've, there's Angel Gomez, who's uh, a teenager who's um, played a little bit. Um, he's a really nice um, player to, to watch. Um, got really good technical ability, nice passing around corners, but he's looked a little bit short of the kind of physicality that you need at this level. So I, I doubt very much that he'd start the game anyway. Uh, okay, last thing then is for me. G- give me a prediction. How do you think it's going to play out? I think two 0 Liverpool. I think it's. I, I wonder if. I wonder if United um, kind of keep things pretty tight to begin with. Um, but I just wonder if Liverpool's, you know, the cohesion that they've got, the, the attacking potential, just ultimately grind United down, and and there's there's a, there's a chance there. I mean, like I say, I, I think the best United could hope for is, is squeaking some kind of one nil win, and you know beyond that, perhaps a nil nil, which <laughs> isn't great, you know, going into a game of this significance. 
Okay, thank you very much indeed to Laurie, and do sign up to The Athletic. It's theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield app if you want to do it through us. Uh, we'll get back on now with the show and see what everybody thinks from the Liverpool side. Great to hear from Laurie there. He had a little bit of a chat about Solskjaer and Dan Morgan. There's, there's a question, isn't there, about whether or not the what would happen if this game goes a certain way. Liverpool were responsible for the Jose Mourinho's last football match as Manchester United manager last oh, season. Oh, yeah. Uh, that leaves the smiles in my face. <laughs> Two now, in one. And now, well, now, you know, you do wonder whether or not if Liverpool go there and put a certain level of performance on that Manchester United can't match if the situation could become untenable. The flip side is nothing to give Solskjaer a boost, like getting something from the Liverpool game. It does feel like a bit of a knife edge for him. How much of one do you think it is? I'm just... I'm fixated on the word untenable at the minute because I think United are past untenable. I think there's a they've got no moves. I don't I don't think they've got any moves. I think the outlier in all of this is Mourinho and the fact that they've had Mourinho when they've got him. Because if they hadn't done every single Man United fan would be screaming, just get Mourinho, just get Mourinho, just get Mourinho, and they've got him and it hasn't worked. And you know, Liverpool go through what six managers in thirty years. United have. Uh, clambering up to that mm. in, in what six since Ferguson's yeah. gone they run out of ideas but there's also there's also a thing that I wrote for the, for the Anfield Rap website today that I've got this belief that fundamentally I believe that there's only still Manchester United and Liverpool that matter in English football and across European football they're part of about five who you would say in the face of things you would you would class as mattering so with that I think it, it, it takes a certain type of personality it takes your Fergusons, your Shankleys, you know, to go in and, and just get the best out of the job that it needs, that it constantly demands. And and we've had managers like Julian and Benitez who've had their own success, but to be the pinnacle that that club, that those clubs constantly require, I think you're looking at once-in-a-lifetime characters, and I think we've got one now, but I don't oh, see yeah. where theirs is. don't see where theirs is at all next round the corner. That's the the strange thing about them, Chris. Watching them from afar is is that you you struggle to see what you do next. Like I don't, you you say to, listen. If I was if I supported United, I'll be really honest. I'd want them gone. I'd say this has got to stop. We could do we, almost anything is better than this. But the flip side of that is, you know, it's a very very valid sentence that someone would say. All right, who's next? Mm-hmm. Who's your next? Go on. Who, 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 who are you saying we go and get? It's, it's not Eddie Howe, is it? And that's where you end up with Pochettino. And at the minute, you're able to point at things with him when it's maybe not going so well. But it may also be that Tottenham just don't want you to get Pochettino. Maybe that Pochettino is hanging on for Madrid. Yeah, it isn't as though there's some sort of obvious move now for Manchester United, as Dan says. That's correct. And then, and you know the mutterings from from the from the supporters and. You know the people. You know who, who, who go the game. You know that they're, they're talking about yet another protest against the owners. You know because they, they can't see the direction. They can't see what the next move is. What the plan is. You know. I mean, I don't know how how, how successful they might be. These these so-called protesters because they haven't they haven't really done much over the last fourteen or fifteen years to to you know to, to try and get the glazers out. But I mean, Sol- Solskjaer was, you know, he, he done well when he first came in last year, didn't he? I don't, I don't think, you know, by sacking him, that the, Gla- the Edwards would would have a would have any sort of any, any success with the supporters because he's one of their own, isn't he? And you know, as you say, you know, who are they going to get in? You know, it's not like they're going to get Alex Ferguson back in, is it? You know, and if Pochettino was, uh, you know, did have his eye on on the job, then there would be some sort of 
fall out with Spurs there, wouldn't it? There'd be compensation to be to be paid at Setter. So would Man United be prepared to pay that that kind of money to Spurs to get the manager in? You know, sure would, yeah. I think they'd just probably wait till the end of the season because they're not going to win the league. They, they, you know, they're not. They, they might. Are they in, are they in the, the League Cup still? Or they, they haven't even played a game after the other. They beat Rochdale. They beat Rochdale. Yeah. They might. They might win the League Cup. You know, they're, they're basically going to finish mid-table. I can't see them finishing in the top four. So. I don't see how it benefits them to get rid of him now. You know, it's only going to be another manager coming in and then demanding a war chest in January. And I don't think the Glazers are going to be able to to, to honour that. Mm. It's great, isn't it? It's marvellous. Yeah. Um, I didn't see any logic at all in it appointing Solskjaer. I think it was a statement from the club to say they must have. I mean, a massive club, um, you know, giant fan base, great history, all these reasons. Obviously, they're getting mismanaged they haven't got over losing Ferguson and maybe it was a bit short term in the end from him. I just couldn't believe they appointed Solskjaer. So it must have been that they couldn't get somebody else. I thought it was a mistake to get Mourinho. This sounds like I'm a world expert in football management here, but I can honestly tell you, you know, when he went and got Moyes, I was made up. When he went and got Van Gaal, I sort of had a right smile. They're just getting everything wrong at the moment. And it certainly reminds us a little bit of what we were doing in the early 1990s and in the, in the late 1990s as well. It just doesn't look like there's any direction. And if a game, one game, which is a combination of a grudge match and almost a derby, is something as a short term as well, they're going to sack him if he loses this one or they're going to keep him and it's going to be all right because he wins this one. I, long may continue that Old Trafford continues with that short-term logic because at this point in time, they just look like they're going nowhere. Now, they're comfortably the worst Man United team I've seen in 30 years. And there were some poorer ones than that before then. But going back to that time, because of all the stick they're getting, because the board players who are on their day can do it, because this will turn into a cup tie, because of all the stick, because of everything that's on the line, of course they're capable of getting a result in a one-off game, and they might. But I've got enough faith in Liverpool that even if we didn't get the result that we wanted on Sunday, that we'd dust ourselves down still be clear at the top, still be champions of Europe, still know we've got the official best manager in the world. And, you know, you'd say, well, it's been a while since we've lost the game. Runs come to an end. Let's go again. I don't think they've got any of that uh, security or knowledge at Old Trafford. They haven't got any of that at all. What we've got, and I'm, I've been trying to think about the best approach for this one, and it is a little bit difficult for the manager, Dan. It's, it's psychologically a little bit difficult. It is worth reminding people his record at Old Trafford and, and Goodison Park isn't quite what you'd like it to be. It's one injury time winner from Manny and a one-all draw in the Europa League as the big positives um, throughout mm. the period. But I, I I really want to see Liverpool, what we saw, for instance, for periods against Leicester, periods against Chelsea, periods against Arsenal, when Liverpool just decided they playing at a certain tempo. So forget the idea of swagger. Mm. I'd almost rather they went in and went, we're going to work you to death. That's what I'd like to see maybe yeah. from this Liverpool side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I would also say that this manager, in many ways, just because of all the factors you've just mentioned, maybe needs to have a little bit of a game of double bluff for himself because of what happened there last season. Um, because I don't think there's nothing wrong with saying to his players, you can still win this game 2 0 with half an hour to go if it's 0 0. We've got a better bench, we've got a better 11, we're fitter than them. Yeah, spot on. There's, there's, there's no way in which we can go and win that game late on because, you know, we often hold ourselves up to Manchester City and they do the same but that's what City would do in a game like that they would slowly turn the screw and they'd win 2-0 in the last half yeah they hour. did that last time didn't they they done it, they done it last season so I'm, I'm bang up for going there and, and making them work for absolutely everything and, and displaying you know an air of superiority in that way but at the same time I think we've got to be patient because it is United 
Um, and it is United playing Liverpool for all the reasons Damien's just mentioned. They've got not much or the hope in any other department or aspect right now. So, so I think that that's that's going to be present for the manager. But you know, if we know anything about him, he he doesn't carry any real sense of ego. Nothing like someone like Guardiola or Mourinho. So, I trust that he trusts his own instincts and what his coaches tell him. Yeah, I think so. It's just a great position to be in. It's a position of power, isn't it? It's a, it's one of those things that this game is emotional for us, isn't it? You know, we get beat by them. And, you know, the rain's going to feel colder, isn't it? It's going to, you know, it's just horrible, isn't it? It's just, it's just the nature of it. And, you know, the prospect of um, going to a mid-table team, because that's what they are right now, and beating them, shouldn't feel as good as how euphoric we are going to feel if and when we win on Sunday. And I do think that we will. I don't I don't buy all this 5-0 um, business. And uh, you see in the media that some people, uh, some pundits who should certainly be amateur pundits putting there, the combined 11 is mm. the Liverpool's team. Well, there's Man United's team talk, nice one. You know yeah. what I mean? If you want to get into that mindset, Liverpool showed last season very much, uh, to my mind. I like I was likening them to like a Grand National runner with the blinkers on, and it was just like, right, what's the next fence? Just yeah. get over the next fence. What's the next fence? Let's just get over the next fence. And if they apply that, you know, play the usual players, play the usual way, and trust themselves, and don't get carried the controlled aggression. Let Manchester United's players get involved in the extra yeah. stupid tackles and running themselves out. Go there in the knowledge, and I think. This is where we are at this point in time, is the fact that this team knows it's the champions of Europe. This yeah. team knows that it can go uh, an entire league season and take a team that's got 98 points into the last game. This team knows its way right down course and distance now. And they also know that there's a vulnerability at Old Trafford and what a, what a statement it would be to go You've there. You've got to play the, play the team, the opposition, and not, not the occasion, haven't we? It's, it, no, it's treat them that's as spot treat on, them yeah. what they are, that's fodder. It. You know, um, like I said earlier, there's there's, there's murmurs of, of of protests and what have you. It might not be a full a full uh, old Trafford. If it is, there'll probably be about five thousand scousers in the other ends. By all accounts, there'll be people going there to try and buy tickets off the locals. Um, but and, and, I, and I don't, yeah, and I don't think the supporters will be as up for it as they were last last year when we played them and we threw one all. So hopefully, we'll be in for an easier ride. Um, not going to ask you for a team because I think that's. Well, I'm going to ask you for a midfield. I think that the rest of it may well end up picking itself. Mm. Who do you think will go, th- go for in midfield? Damien first, go around the table. Fabinho. Um, Genie. I think he'll go Henderson. But they might look at the fitness issues and the you know how many minutes you've played and whatever have you. And you've got the perfect Jimmy Milner there, haven't you? Okay, Chris? Milner would have been, I think he'd be my first name on the sheet. So Henderson, does he play two games for England, did yeah. he? In the, in the, in the Genie, Genie and Henderson have both played twice. And yeah. But, and you know, Genie scored a couple of goals as well, didn't he? So he might, you know, he's he might be on blob. So we probably play him. Yeah, you use them and like use the replacements in the later games, like you say, Genk. You know, it's as good an opponent as you can yeah. ask for. Following it, isn't it? And he, um, and Klopp's proven that he's he's not scared to drop Henderson to the bench. He's he's probably told him that he's not going to play every game. You know, and in that type of game, uh, I, I mentioned Fabinho might not, you know, might not play because he's played two. Well, he's I think he came on for Brazil in, in midweek in, in Singapore. So you don't know how he's going to be recovering, but certainly Milner and Wijnaldum, yeah. Dan, I think it'd be the usual midfield. I think Fabinho, Henderson, and Wijnaldum will all play. I think I'm just like a reference before. I'm more and more inclined to think that this game will be not decided, but it'll have a big say in the last half an hour of it. And I think if we go into that game with that midfield three, we might well just go in with the idea of, well, we used them for 60, 65, and then we look at the bench because the bench is better than theirs by a mile. 
if we've yeah. got everyone fit. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, excellent stuff. Going to win? Yeah. Yeah. You'd imagine so. We're about one one point six, aren't we? To beat what are they three three to one or something? Rob Gutman's going to have his house on United, isn't he? <laughs> All round to Rob's, I hope. Safety yeah. bet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we'll win, but I'm just I, I'm hopeful for one of the the front three to to really announce themselves in a game like this. Someone like Salah, it feels like he's due. You know, he's due a big game against someone like United away, and it's it's one of those where I think if if he can be on blob, then he'll get a brace and maybe more. I think he'll be Manny. You think? Yeah, I do. Yeah, take that. Take anyone. Um, all right, then. Hope you've listened to this on our app. Uh, if you haven't, uh, download it, and you can download it for free in the App Store and on Google Play. Uh, all of our podcasts, videos, and writing, they're in one place there. It's the best place to get all of our content, so you can get it all there. Loads of the free stuff's on there, so if you listen to this as someone who only listens to the free bits and pieces and you're not a subscriber, then when you create the account within the app, you get free tokens uh, so you can listen to the, the stuff that is behind the paywall. And it's a great weekend and a great run of games to do so. Uh, it doesn't get better than this. It's really, really strange that it's October and you're feeling like it doesn't get bigger, it doesn't get better. This is a Liverpool side that have won eight mm-hmm. from eight. They get a result at Old Trafford. They will have won every single league game since the clocks changed and the clocks change again next weekend. What a run, what a team it is that we're watching there. Wow. Uh, it is a phenomenal statistic, an unbelievable fact. Liverpool are going to keep winning. Download the app. Enjoy it all with us. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.